0: I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be able to stand again and try to share God's Word with you, and it's been my prayer that God's Word would just have its way in our hearts today, that we would respond exactly the way the Lord would have us to. We've been speaking about repentance as the Lord has given us opportunity the last few weeks, and I was, uh, I was loaded and ready to preach last Sunday and was disappointed I didn't get to. and. Kind of kept checking my heart throughout the week, and, and the Lord seemed to continue to give me the green light to go ahead and share those thoughts I was planning to share and, and even kind of shape them a bit more. But we've been talking about repentance, the potential of repentance, like the fact that our sin does not have to define us, but through God, through, through Christ, and through what Christ has done, we can be changed we talked about the preparation for repentance last time I had the chance to preach, about the four soils, right, the, the wayside soil where the seed just bounced off, the seed of God's Word, and the birds came and devoured it, the, the soil that was shallow, that was rocky so the roots couldn't go deep, and it sure looked impressive when it popped up right away, but there was nothing there, when hard times came, it didn't last. We talked about the weedy soil, the soil with the thorns in it, and and the plant could never really grow up because there were always things competing for the nutrients in that soil. And then there was the good soil, the good soil where the Word took root, and a plant came up and it produced varying amounts of fruit. And we asked the question, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? And I hope that you're continuing to ask that question in your heart and think about that today as the word is being preached because I want to talk about uh, the path of repentance and I want to try to provide today some light for the path, some light for the path. We read in Psalm one hundred nineteen, one hundred five, 105 that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. And so today with God's help, we want to try to share a portion of scripture in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm going to read 10 verses here, but our focus is going to be really the first five verses. And this passage is in a sense a handbook for Christian repentance. A handbook for Christian repentance. And there was a specific issue that James is addressing here, but I don't want you to To hear this and say, well, I don't really have that issue, and so this doesn't really matter to me, because we want to see past that here in a moment. But we see as James goes through these first 10 verses of chapter 4, he explains to us about what, what is needed when there is sin. And he says here in James chapter 4, verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not, so you kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain and you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. And then you do ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Ye adulterers, And adulteresses. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of God, excuse me, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God, resist the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's pray together before we go further. Our holy, kind Father, our pursuing Father, Lord, our God who loves us and has called us with an irrevocable calling, Lord, through the death of your Son, Lord. And when you placed your Spirit inside of us, Lord, we have eternity ahead of us, Lord, but not just ahead of us, Lord. There is a work and a calling for us to do in this place. And Lord, it is our desire today to worship you, Lord, in a way that would be pleasing to you, Lord, in a way that would be fit for who you are. But God, here in this place, we are beset by sin. Lord, it is all around us. It is in us, God. And for some today who are gathered here, Lord, they don't even know what it means to be freed from sin through the pardon of salvation. We pray today, Lord, for your grace to be with us, Lord. We pray for your spirit to work, Lord, to open our eyes to whatever we need to see, Lord, for without you, apart from you, God, this is just a bunch of words, but Lord, by the power of your spirit, you can do great things in us and amongst us today. And we pray and we ask and beg, Lord, for you to work in the way that only you can. And we ask this, Lord, for the sake of and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I've got to sit in the, one of the adult classes today. There's three. I forget which number you are, Brother Eubanks number one, two, or three, but we were in that class today. And Brother Harold was asking everybody, What are you looking forward to about heaven? And there were some different answers. And one of the popular and one of the good answers was, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. And absolutely 100%. And I sat there and I was quiet. I didn't say anything. I knew what I would say if I was put on the spot, but I didn't say it. But what I found was that Brother Harold Eubanks said exactly, pretty much verbatim, what I was thinking. And his answer was, I am looking forward to being rid of sin. I'm looking forward to being rid of sin so that I can go and worship Jesus the way he deserves to be worshiped. And I was you know I just I appreciated that so much and it goes so well with what we're talking about today. Here in this passage because we all wrestle with sin. Everybody in this room are impacted by sin whether you're saved or you're lost, we are impacted by sin. And here in this passage we're reading from the book of James these first 10 verses. I called it the handbook of Christian repentance. And these people that James is talking to, they had a presentation problem. The problem that that he was addressing that was on the surface. And the issue they had was ungodly anger. They were fighting. They were arguing. They were going back and forth. In fact, it sounds like they were killing each other. Verse 2, it says, You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Were these people really killing each other? I don't believe they literally were. But on Sunday nights we're preaching through Matthew's gospel and we're in the Sermon on the Mount and I made the comment that the book of James is closely tied to the Sermon on the Mount. You see a lot of those things taken and expanded on in here and Jesus makes a connection between sinful anger and murder in the Sermon on the Mount And I believe that's exactly what James is doing here, going back to what Jesus said, saying there is this problem of sinful anger, of an ungodly anger towards a brother or sister in Christ. That was the presentation problem. But we all know, some of us have been sick lately, the same disease can present itself in different ways. I was talking to Sister Donna, who had this recently, right before service. And what she experienced with her illness seems to be the same illness, was a bit different than what I experienced in the severity, in the longevity, the way it manifests itself. Same thing went through our family, and we were all a little bit different in the way it presented itself. Same disease, same sickness at the root of it, though, right? And a good doctor, when someone comes in with symptoms, they want to try to look past the symptoms and find out what is the root, what's the real issue here, what is the specific disease, because that's what we need to treat. Well, my friends, the root of sin can manifest itself in all sorts of ways. It can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways in our life. And this issue here they specifically had was a sinful anger, but the issue was sin. And as you look at this passage, I want you to notice a couple things this morning. Because there are a couple threads running through these first five verses. These threads that kind of keep popping up. A few times. And I want you to see it because it's going to help us understand this problem of sin. The first one is the issue of evil desires, or as it's said here in the King James, lusts. Look at this with me here. It says at the end of verse 1 Where do these wars and fightings come? It comes from your lusts. Verse 2, you lust and have not. At the end of verse 3, you don't get it because you ask amiss to consume it upon your lust. He is using that same word over and over. What's he talking about? A lust comes from the Greek word hedone, which is where we get the, the word hedonism. It means pursuing pleasure, evil desires and pleasures. And the evil desires that we have in us, if you kind of do an autopsy on them, oftentimes they are good desires that have gotten twisted or enlarged. Some good desire, a desire that God created in us that's good, that somehow because of sin, the sin nature, we've twisted it and we've enlarged it. It's bigger than it should be. Here, James calls it out in verse 1. Where do these problems come from? It comes from those lusts, those sinful desires. And this is not the first time James says this in this book. If you were to flip back to chapter 1, look at verses 14 and 15. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth Death. James is consistent, if nothing else, in saying that our evil desires, our twisted desires, are at the root of our sin problems. And what we also learn from James here in chapter 4 is that these evil desires want to be fed. They want to be fed. He says that you lust, you have this desire, and you have not, so you try to take it. To get what you want, you hurt others, you say things because you're looking for something. Even verse 3, you might ask for something and you're not getting it because you're asking for the wrong reasons because you want to feed your evil desires. These evil desires that we have are at the heart, the very root of our problem. If I were to ask you today, without raising hands, how many of you would like to lose weight? Not the way we, many of us just lost weight, but how many of you would like to lose weight? You know, probably a lot of us would say, yeah, I'd like that. What if I told you I've got a surefire, 100% way to lose weight? Sounds good? Quit eating so much. And we all laugh because, yeah, we all know that, right? Right? In fact, how many of us have laid ourselves down in bed after eating too many peanut butter M&Ms going, Oh, Lord, please help me to remember tomorrow night that I do not keep eating those things, that I will stop and get myself a reasonable portion and quit doing that because I'm laying here. And my stomach just feels bloated. And it's like, why am I doing this to myself? But guess what? Tomorrow night I'm going to find myself doing. Why is that? I mean, I know, I know how to lose weight. I know what the problem is. But what do we find? That hunger. That hunger. Right? And it's not just hunger. Sometimes it's craving for things that we want to eat that we know we shouldn't eat. But boy, we crave it. And so we're being drawn into that. I mean, can't we just recognize just amongst us that we know what it's like to have desires out of proportion to what they should be? We understand what the problem is. you got a sin problem. Well, just quit sinning. Oh, yeah, yeah, if it were only that easy. If it were only that easy. If we could just control these sinful desires, we'd be fine. But we find James takes us and he shows us some more in this passage. Because in verses 4 and 5, he calls us out. And he uses some language here that kind of hurts, it kind of stings, but it's this other thread I want us to see. He says, and I want to point out some specific words. You adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And then in verse 5 he tells us that the, tells us that the spirit of God living in us, and that's speaking to those who are saved... Lusts to envy. I'm going to explain that in a second. I want to talk about those three sets of words the idea of adultery and of being an enemy, and this concept of lusting to envy. They all have something in common. We all know what adultery is. Adultery can only occur when there's been a commitment to a relationship. Unmarried people can commit fornication but they cannot commit adultery. Adultery is when there has been a commitment to a relationship, to abide in that relationship, to be faithful to that other person, to have and hold them in sickness and in health, good times, bad times, richer, poorer, all those things. You make the vow, you make the commitment, and then adultery is the breaking of that commitment to a relationship. The second word there I pointed out is enmity or being an enemy, and it's the same concept It's to not be in a state of being neutral towards somebody else. It's to be actively opposed to them. To look at them and say, you are my problem. You are my enemy. You are my problem. You are keeping me from something I want to have. Or you're trying to take away something from me I want to have. Enmity. Or to be an enemy. And this third phrase here in the King James, lusteth to envy. It means jealousy. It means jealousy. It tells us there in verse 5, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and again this is speaking to Christians, is jealous. The Holy Spirit of God is jealous. What is jealousy? Jealousy is seeing someone else that you desire to be with, desire to have, but yet they are with someone else. And because they're with someone else, you can't be with them. And so feelings of jealousy arise. The one thing in common between adultery, this concept of being an enemy, and this concept of jealousy is that all of these are relationship words. All of these are relationship words. Relationship between two people, right? You can't have those by yourself. You can't. Commit adultery by yourself unless there's another person to cheat on. You can't have an enemy unless there's another person to hate. You can't be jealous of another person who's not there. These are all relationship words. And these relationship words are being applied to our relationship with God. These relationship words are here being applied to our relationship with God. When Jesus came to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and he was talking to her, he said something really profound. He said the day is is coming and now is when people aren't going to be focused on where they worship because God is seeking, God is looking for a people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning with sincerity meaning being in the way that would please God, the way that God wants. That is what God is longing for, our people who can worship Him in sincerity, in spirit, and in truth. And that's what He made possible through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ and the coming of His Spirit into our hearts when He saved us, and He washed away the sin, and His Spirit came to dwell in us, we, for the first time, had the capacity to really, really worship God. We were in relationship with God. We had the ability, it was the proper time then, to get baptized and say by that, I want to be committed to Jesus Christ. I want to follow after Him. I want to live my life for Him because I know Him and because of what He's done for me. And what James tells us in this passage here is that there is the possibility for God's people of getting into such a position in their relationship with God that they are adulterous, that by their friendship with the world, they become an enemy of God. And God's spirit is jealous, deeply jealous, over where our heart and our affections lie. So let's talk about what we learned from this. Number one, we've made it clear. Sin comes from evil desires. And if we're going to make any real progress against the sin in our life, we've got to figure out what is it that I'm looking for? What is that desire? What is that thing that keeps drawing me back? Time after time to this thing. What is it that I want? We need to know that it's that that kind of spirit that I believe David had in Psalm 39, verse 23, where he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and, and know my thoughts. Lord, what's going on inside me? Let me know because I can't even see myself clearly. And that's one of the realities of sin is that sin can get inside our head and our heart and we can't even look at things the right way. We can't even look at things the right way. We need the help of somebody else to come in and intervene and say, hey, this is just kind of what I'm seeing. Or better yet, the perfect voice of God's spirit to come in and just pierce our heart and say, this is where the problem's at. Because if you're not going to pull out, identify and pull out that root, you're never going to take out that fruit of sin in your life. We've got to deal with it at the heart level. Number two, we learn from this passage that sin is doubly damaging because it's not just a bad thing. It has a relationship component. It has this relationship side of it where it's not just, oh, I did this bad thing. It's that I've also hurt God. Because I've loved something else more than I've loved him. And it hurts the Lord. And it hurts his spirit. Even if you're lost today and you turn towards sin, and you turn away from God's Spirit trying to draw you to Himself, you are turning away and betraying the God who created you for a relationship with Him. Every one of us in this room, we are image bearers of God. We were all made to be in relationship with God, to know Him, to live forever with Him. That is why you are here on this earth. And God has made a way, despite our sin, despite our wickedness, He has made a way through the death of His Son that you can come to know God and be at peace with God. And that's what that peace is when you get saved. That mark of that burden taken away, it is peace with God. And that's the peace you need today. And saint, those who have been saved... We're betraying the God who purchased us back from sin, who gave his son, who poured out his life so that he might redeem a people to himself who love him, who know him, who want to worship him in spirit and in truth. And God's spirit that lives inside you today, if God's spirit is inside you today, he yearns for you to worship God, the way God wants to be worshipped. He is jealous. God's spirit is jealous for your attention. He is jealous for your heart. And so we learn from this passage here in James chapter 4. Our third conclusion is that sin is fundamentally a worship problem. At its root, it is a worship problem. Proverbs 4.23 says to keep your heart. Watch over and guard your heart with all diligence, with everything you've got in when you watch over your heart because out of your heart flow all the issues of life. All the things you say or don't say that you should, the things that you think that are going on in your head, the things you do or don't do that you should, all of that's coming from the heart. And it tells us watch your heart because that is a heart that has been made for God. And learning to overcome sin through repentance is not just about learning not to do bad things. It's about learning to want God. It's about learning to want God. The first and the greatest commandment. Does it make more sense now? The first and the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart soul, mind, body, strength, every fiber of everything in you to love and to be devoted to God. That is the first and the great commandment. Second one's like it, love your neighbor. But the first one, don't bypass the first one to jump over to the second. The first one is for God to have your heart and all of who you are. And sin is fundamentally not just about, I need to stop smoking or snorting crack or whatever. It's about I need to love God. I need to be seeking whatever it is I want. I need to be seeking God for that thing and not just stopping the bad thing. Therefore, in our fourth and final point, repentance is about removing idols and enthroning God in our heart. It's about whatever idol has taken the place in our heart, where God is meant to dwell, and having that pulled down and God being placed on that throne of our heart. Can you understand why? In Luke 15:7, it says, "There's more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than 99 just people who need no repentance." Do you understand why? It's not just, oh, I'm glad they stopped doing that bad thing. It's because that heart has come home to God. It's because that heart has come home to love and worship God. And the angels are thankful for another voice in the choir who is rejoicing over who this God is and how great he is. Let me tell you something. This got me in trouble once. Somebody didn't like it when I said it. But as I've thought about it over the years and studied and prayed, I cannot arrive at any other conclusion. At first, it's not going to sound bad. We can change out our idols through human effort. We can change out our idols through human effort. By our own strength and power. That can happen. You know, a couple gods people used to worship in the Old Testament were Moloch and Baal. And the way Moloch was worshipped at times was by taking your children and sacrificing them. That was one of the absolutely evil and and abhorrent practices in. Canaan, when the Israelites came in there, that they were meant to root out. God was wiping some of those people out because of the absolutely horrible things they would do. They would take their little children and sacrifice them to their God because they believed their God would give them what they wanted. There are others who worship Baal, and one of the ways Baal was worshipped was by sacrificing sheep and goats and bulls. And I can imagine at some point, some of those people who worship Moloch, maybe one of them kind of was like looking over at their neighbors over there watching Baal or worshiping Baal and going, hmm, I'm starting to run out of kids here and I don't really like this. And they're worshiping their God and they're just giving up bulls and goats and sheep. He's going to give them rain and he's going to prosper them and give them things they want to. I think I don't like this whole idea of sacrificing my kids. I think I'm much more comfortable sacrificing my bulls and goats. I'm going to start worshiping Baal because Baal will take care of me. And this is much less painful, right? To sacrifice the sheep and the goats and the bulls. I think I'm going to switch from Molech worshiping to Baal worshiping because it's not as painful. My friends, it's really no different today because there are some sins, some things you can get into in this life that have a very bad and immediate bite. And beyond that, they're not socially acceptable and they're damaging. Everybody will look at that behavior and say, hey, that's not right. It'd be best if you stop that. You're going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt somebody else. I mean, look at what, what's already happening. You can look at some things people do and just say, that's just wrong. And we'll all agree that's just wrong. And some folks have been able to get out of positions like that, get out of situations like that, and to many eyes turn their lives over and start doing other things. Maybe get off of alcohol and get off of drugs. Apart. Apart. Apart from turning to the Lord, apart from asking for forgiveness for those things, but by simply saying, I realize this path is very destructive right now, and I want to change and turn my ways over because I I want to be able to hold down a job. I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to be able to, you know, be a good neighbor. I want this stuff. I want that, and so I'm going to make changes in my life. But my friends... Those changes, while they may bring some positive benefits to themselves and society, unless it's done through God, unless it's done through Christ, all it is is swapping sin. This is what got me in trouble for saying that. It's just swapping sin. Because there are a lot of people in this world who live very, outwardly morally upright lives who are great contributors to society who are not living for God who don't know God who are one day going to stand before God and he will say depart from me I never knew you and they'll say look at all these good things we did in your name and he says I never knew you there are a lot of good things that we can do even in and of our own power to this world But apart from the power of God, all we do is swap idols. In fact, many things that are idolized today are very socially acceptable in our culture. Very socially acceptable, encouraged, right? But I'll tell you, the only way that an idol can be taken off the throne and God put on that throne of the heart is through real repentance. That is the only way that happens is through this real repentance. And real repentance is not just remorse and it's not just regret. It is a reorientation of the heart away from those things toward the true and the living God. Y'all get weeds in your lawn just like I do. And you know, before long those weeds start popping up and they grow really big. And most of the time, our solution is to go out there and just mow the lawn because at that point, you really can't tell the difference between the weeds and the grass. They're all the same height, and it looks good, right? But you've not gotten rid of the weed. You just put the weeds and the grass at the same height. And they're all greenish, and it seems to go okay. My friend, God is not interested in trimming your weeds. God is interested in pulling the weeds. God is interested in planting something in you that is good, that is going to endure, that's going to last for eternity and bear fruit that will bring joy here in this life and in the life to come. That is what God is interested in in our hearts. That's what real repentance brings. And I tell you, if you've been broken, if you've humbled yourself, if you've gotten down before the Lord emptied of yourself and looking to him for forgiveness and mercy. I tell you, when you get to that place, there is no sweeter place to be. There is no sweeter place to be than to be broken down and emptied of all that sin and self and simply looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus told Simon the Pharisee when the woman came his house and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and the ointment and wiped him with her hair he said you know the one who is forgiven much loves much the one who is forgiven much loves much and I tell you if you've been forgiven if you've really repented before God if you go through this process with him of getting humbled and broken it changes your heart toward God and that's what must happen for it to be real those who truly repent must engage with God again in a meaningful and enduringful way in true worship. And I'll tell you, I've seen that in this congregation. I've watched. I've been around long enough to watch. And I know some of you all have some stories. Some of you all have some pasts, some places that you've been where by God's grace you're not there anymore. And what I find so often is that many who have had an endured pasts, have a sweeter appreciation of who our Lord and Savior is because of what God has done and what God has taken out of their life and what had to come into their life to replace what was there. Those who are forgiven much love much. Do you need to be forgiven today? Is God's Spirit dealing with your heart in some way and showing you that things aren't right? Maybe Maybe you're lost and you've never had that. You, you, you hear people talk about it and, oh, it sounds good and you want that, but you've not yet come to that place where, where he took away the sin and he came in and you saw him in a different way you never saw him before. Maybe you're somebody who is saved and you keep struggling with the same old sins over and over and over, and you think, why am I not making progress? I don't want to do it. Maybe God's Spirit today is showing you in your heart. Maybe God's showing you today that you know, the problem really is what you want, and that needs to change. And that needs to change. My friend, God's Spirit is dealing with you, whatever the case may be, whatever your story is today. I encourage you not to waste the opportunity, the precious opportunity of God's Spirit dealing with your heart. That is precious because I'll tell you, you go out the door, you try to put it off, and and, and what is our nature going to be to try to quiet that voice and hush it, to say, oh, I want to wait for some more opportune time, but my friend, there is no more opportune time than the moment when God's Spirit is dealing with your heart. That is the opportune time, and you will only get things right His way because this is about Him. This is about Him and what he wants. Quit making it about you. It's about him. As we stand and sing today, Brother Branch, you want to get us a song, Sister Barbara or Sister Janet? Let's stand and sing. And I would invite you to listen to the voice of that spirit where he's calling out to you to draw you to salvation, or whether he's already in you, but he's just telling you, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I want your heart back.